tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 48. Do you feel God calling you to step up and step out in ministry, but you don't know where to begin? Or has God already entrusted you with the leadership position, but maybe you're a little discouraged, or or you don't know how to steward the gift or navigate the conflicts that often come with influence? Well, I think you're going to love today's episode as I talk with author and church consultant, Katie Cole, as well as my own sweet daughter, Jessica. Katie gives us all sorts of wisdom as to how to handle difficult conversations, navigate seasons in ministry, as well as develop the emotional intelligence that we need to lead effectively. But I also love what she says about the sticky floor that we often create ourselves that holds us back. And there's so much more. Whether you're in vocational ministry or not, I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. But if you would, be sure to share it with a friend, because I believe that God wants to use women in a bigger, better way than ever before. We just have to be willing. I'm so honored to have Katie Cole with us today. She's the author of Developing Female Leaders and just uh, has a consulting firm, has uh, so much support for women who feel called to ministry. But also, I've got my beautiful daughter, Jessica Downs, with us. Hi. And Jessica is a children's pastor in Seattle. Katie is clear down in Florida. But I found out she's a Montana girl. Tell us a little bit about your story, how you got from the mountains of Montana to Florida and leading women and helping them become everything God wants them to be. Well, thank you so much, Joanna, for having me here. And Jessica, it's great to meet you too. I'm excited about our conversation. Yeah, I grew up really just down the road from you, Joanna. Um, went to church in Lolo, Montana at Lolo Community Church. I don't know if you know that, but it's a wonderful um, little church was just there uh, last month. And so uh, yeah, I grew up in this wonderful church community. I went to college near Seattle, where you are, Jessica, in Tacoma, um, and did what I thought, you know, godly women did, which was found a pastor to marry. And so I was engaged in college and thought, I am really living for God here, uh, marrying this guy and going to be in ministry. And the Lord really got a hold of my heart. Not that that's not a wonderful journey. It's just not the journey he actually had designed for me. And that was probably one of the first... Uh, Uh, looking back, I didn't realize it at the time, but one of the first times God really challenged my paradigm about uh, who I was as a follower of Jesus, who I was as a woman, and what what are the possibilities of what God would want to do with my life. And uh, I think that assumption, um, because of those were the women that I saw married great men in ministry, I kind of just assumed that's what God would want for me to do for him. Um, And so as I started learning more about uh, following the Holy Spirit, I was discipled in college by a wonderful group of ministry people, really started to listen to his voice and realize that that actually was not just the only option for me. And so uh, I ended up breaking off my engagement. He was a wonderful guy, um, but just wasn't the right person for me. 
And uh, I did what, you know, most, you know, 20 year old young uh, people do, which is went to the complete opposite extreme. And so figured I would never get married. So therefore I went to nursing school with plans to become a single missionary for my whole life and be on the mission field, wearing skirts and delivering babies, you know, till I died. So that was my (laughs) plan for myself. Again, I don't learn very quickly, apparently, because I went from one extreme to the other. Uh, But the Lord ended up um, opening up an opportunity for me to be on a scholarship for college. Uh, That brought me to South Florida when I graduated to fulfill my um, scholarship obligation to the VA hospital that put me through nursing school. And then as I was here, I ended up getting involved in local church ministry. It was a wonderful kind of eye-opener about what um, ministry could really look like in a different model, especially one in a large metropolitan area where uh, we cared about like the singers being on key and uh, the message was really relevant and you would want to bring your unsaved friend to church. And like I said, the church I grew up in was amazing, but that was not our focus at all. And uh, but when I was 22, that was like an amazing eye-opener to think about ministry and church that way. And they gave me my real first opportunities to lead. I started leading small groups. I led ministry. I grew up in a wonderful children's theater, Missoula Children's Theater, which is world-renowned now. When I was growing up, it was in a tiny little theater on Front Street. But uh, So I started producing services and uh, worked a lot with the worship team and the weekend experience. So I really found my legs in ministry, eventually got married, uh, had a child, was recruited to be on staff at my church. And so that's how I kind of ended up in ministry from Montana while I'm still in Florida, although I still am a Pacific Northwest or at least a North West girl in my heart, but that's how I ended up here now, 25 years later. Wow, that is awesome. So really kind of opening your mind to what could be. And I think that that's so important because sometimes we get a little tunnel vision. We think there's only one way to do it. I've always said that I really think that being a young single Christian woman right now is the most exciting thing in the world because (laughs) there are so many avenues to serve Jesus. And yet there's so many avenues for every single one of us. And yet sometimes we can, I think we can get so busy with just life that we may have felt that stirring in our heart, but we really don't know what to do with it. it. And one of the things that I love about your book is that you're really, um, it's really written towards churches to say, hey, look at the gifts that you have all around you. And can you talk about that? What God might have in mind for women that's beyond our little paradigm? Well, I think one of the things I started to learn, especially when I was researching this book, I actually wrote the book because I was uh, consulting with many churches on how to fulfill their mission. And um, I have a master's degree in human resource development. I work a lot with organizational structure and leadership development pipelines and church growth strategies. So kind of from the, the strategy side of ministry has sort of become my expertise over the last 20 years. But as I would work with churches on these topics, we kept running into this issue of not having enough qualified and trustworthy and mature leaders. And as I would look at their church, I'm thinking, gosh, that's just so surprising that you that all these wonderful ministries and all of these great things you're doing. But there were many women who were not volunteering for these leadership roles. And these guys were trying to get them to do it, but these women were kind of taking themselves out or maybe the things the guys were doing were not really creating what felt like a welcome invitation for these women leaders. And maybe they didn't even consider themselves leaders. And so part of the challenge became, how do we make sure when we're looking out at our congregations that we're uh, 
stewarding well all the resources that God has given us. So if we need leaders, God has given people in our congregations gifts of leadership, gifts of administration, gifts of teaching, gifts of apostleship, gifts of intercession. Are we using all of those gifts towards our mission? Or are we just kind of using what my estimation is about 25% of gifts are we using in the church? Well, we're all given actually multiple gifts. So are, are we finding our, our strong prayers? Are we teaching them how to pray? Are we teaching them how to steward that gift? And then are we creating avenues in which they can bring that gift into their local church for the fruitfulness of the ministry, the edification of the body, and to reach the mission we feel like God has brought us to? Are we doing that with leadership? Are we doing that with teaching? Or do we kind of just sort of feel like these five people who have always done it and just keep doing it, these are our people. And if you have other gifts, you know, we, and we see it a lot with women particularly, but you know, they're like driving pink Cadillacs in Mary Kay, but they like feel like they have no, nothing to offer their local church. And so really my motivation with the book was to just say, Hey, there's so much more sitting in your congregation. It's not even about going out and recruiting people to come in. We don't even have to like get them saved and clean them up before they can do something. They're sitting in our congregations. And particularly when it comes to women, most of us, especially if we've been walking with the Lord for a while, if we've been in church for a while, we're seasoned believers, not brand new believers. It's a little different journey, but we're seasoned believers. We have probably grown up with some mindsets or maybe some assumptions about ourselves, about our giftedness, about what God thinks should be in the church or not in the church. Maybe our theology tends to make us think we're more limited than probably we are. Or maybe we grew up in a family or an era or in an area of the country where you just didn't see a lot of women doing things. And what's amazing is how much we can limit ourselves, particularly as women, that no one necessarily said. I think my example from the very beginning of our conversation of just, no one said to me, Katie, if you're really godly and you're a woman, you should marry a pastor. But so many things in my growing up years somehow made me think that that was the goal. And so no one said it. Our theology didn't describe it. Um, It wasn't like there was a class on how to marry a pastor in college, but for some reason, and it wasn't even conscious in my mind, but for some reason, as I was there trying to love God and honor him and make decisions about my life, that was a, a really top priority for me. And so as we go forward and look at how to help all of our people really identify and fulfill the callings God's given them and ourselves, it's really important that we challenge our paradigms, challenge our assumptions, look at God's word, and make sure if we have boundaries around what God's word says, then we should follow those. But if it's not spoken about in God's word, we should really kind of stretch our leadership legs and see what else we might be able to offer the kingdom. And I see him moving in lots of women. I see him moving in a lot of congregations and a lot of male leaders who want to do a good job stewarding all the people and all the gifts. I just see a lot of movement where God is really, it's not like he's rising up a wave of women. I think we've already always been there. I think he's just highlighting and almost like um, unlocking doors that we didn't know how to unlock for ourselves. Mm. And, and, And we're really seeing amazing fruit in the kingdom because of that. Yeah. 
Oh, that's so good. One of the things I really appreciate about your book is that you acknowledge that not every denomination looks at women in leadership the same. And and you, I love that you say, I come from an eclectic background, so that's okay. You're not even threatened by that. You give us just some wonderful guidelines of how to, how to make the most of what God's given us within, as you said, what we feel are biblical parameters. Um, you know, I would agree that there is definitely, you come up, you grow up with certain assumptions. Um, we are blessed to be, Jess and I, in a denomination that has always accepted women in, in even pastoral leadership. And, um, and yet, we're still learning how to walk that out. And um, I know, you know, God literally called me, my calling is to be a pastor's wife. It, was, it wasn't even something I ever thought, but it was a divine calling. When uh, Jessica was a teenager and I told her about that, she's like, how in the world does that work? How do you have that kind of a calling? Because God had called her at that time uh, to missions, to work with children. Um, but Jess just had a passion, felt called to be a children's pastor from a young young age and God's open doors, but there, there have been some of those ch challenges in walking it. What has it been like for you, Jessica, to grow into your own leadership? You know, I think you're right in that our denomination does celebrate and um, not just accept, but celebrate women in ministry. But what that looks like in the local church can often not be super reflected in like what our doctrine is versus what reality or, you know, what it actually is in the church. And so in one of my previous positions, I was the first female pastor on staff and it was an associate role, but, um, it was like, no one knew how to deal with me, <laughs> you know, like it was like, it had been this kind of, um, and I think this is an overgeneralized, overused term, but like the good old boys club where, and it wasn't malicious, it wasn't intentional, but it was you know, they would always go golfing together or they would go out to lunch together. And all of a sudden when I got thrown into the mixture, it was just, they didn't know, they didn't know how to include me in that. And so there were a lot of times where I wasn't included in that. And, and it was, uh, again, I don't think it was malicious as much as it was just, they were so used to doing something a certain way. Then how do we add a female to the mix who doesn't play golf or who, you know, if, if you are, um, careful about you know, the, the Billy Graham rule of not being one-on-one -on -one and not, not writing together to coffee or whatever. It's just, there were certain things that I was unable to do. And, and um, so it was just, it was interesting to, to walk that line and to kind of, it felt like I was kind of paving the way for future female pastors in that particular church. And I think I felt a lot of pressure because everything that was reflected poorly, everything that I did could be reflected poorly on women in general versus just me. So if it wasn't a good fit for me, then that could be misconstrued as, well, it's just because she's female, she's more emotional, you know, she can't handle the pressure, women can't handle, you know, I just didn't want it to become this overgeneralization uh, against women versus just okay, she wasn't the right fit or whatever it may be. And so, yeah, that was, that was interesting to, 
to do in an interesting position. It was, it was wonderful. And it was a, such a learning experience and it was a privilege to kind of pave the way, if you will, but it, there was a lot of, a lot of pressure in that sense. And I don't, I don't know. I think, I think women in general, not just in ministry roles, but um, even in their workplaces can feel that pressure too. And how do we, how do we balance being a woman and, most women are a little bit more emotional. Um, how do we balance that with being ourselves and yet also um, being wise to like temper? I don't even know if we should temper ourselves. I don't know. You you share what you think. <laughs> well, Jessica, I yeah, I, I think Jessica, that's a really amazing story. And you're a great example. And you're right. When you are the first one, whether you're the first female in a team of mostly men, whether you're the first guy in a team of mostly women, whether you're the first person over 60 on a team of millennials, or you're the first millennial with a team of old people, like, you know, who knows what it's going to be. You're the first person of a ethnic minority um, of any kind in a team. Anytime you're sort of like a little, le- um, like you feel it can easily feel like a little bit like an outsider. I, I remember just thinking um, after I joined like, you know, team number seven and I was the only woman on the team that Sesame Street song that says like, one of these things is not like the other. I just, I'm like, this is my theme song. Everywhere mm-hmm. I go, this is my theme song. And so I think um, one of the things I talk about in the book is just this idea of the the weight or the freight of being iconic. When you are like the one person, whatever that one person is, and I think all of us can identify that with that, right? I'm like, I'm the one mom who had a child over 35, right? And so now I'm in my 40s at like first grade orientation, or I'm the one person who, you know, did whatever, went back to work and the first one of my family or whatever it is, it just is easy to feel like you represent more than just yourself. And that's actually one of the things I try to tell women is just to remember that you don't, you didn't call yourself to this role, right? God called you to it. And so he's going to give you the grace to walk through it. But if we overanalyze it or we take on more than he's asked us to take on, it is really easy to sort of feel the weight or the pressure. Um, and, and the reality is that people do make assumptions when, you know, if I have only one black friend, then when they do something, I'm going to be like, oh, do all people, all black people do that? Well, that isn't true. And that's why it's important for me as a leader to make sure I have a lot of different people in my life that I'm challenging my own biases. I need to have friendships of a lot of different ethnic backgrounds. I need to have friends of all sorts of different ages. I need to make sure I'm connecting with people of of very different socioeconomic backgrounds, different parts of the country, different parts of the world. It's what allows me to challenge my own assumptions and relieve the weight of the people I'm connected with from representing something or for me making judgments on something that really are just about them. Now, it may be something that's consistent, but I need to um, put that together beyond just one person's experience or my experience with them. That's so good. That's so good. And I love that you bring it down to that there are so many firsts for a lot of us. And how do we walk that out, whether it's first on the staff or, or, or first, you know, I think one of the things that I've been trying to figure out, Katie, just as a woman in general, is how to leave, lead with confidence um, and, and to step into that role, like you said, where it's not, I haven't sought it, but God's given it. 
to lead boldly and yet do it humbly. One of the things that I love, you've got some best practices, the bonus chapter in your book about as we're walking this out, how, how to do that. But one of the things that really struck me too was you talked about emotional intelligence. And Jessica kind of just briefly said that, you know, we tend to be emotional. And so whether we're on a school board or whether we're, you know, we're serving, um, serving at church or whatever, navigating in a professional type of, of um, environment. And again, I mean, I don't want church to be professional. Like we're not professionals. We're, we're servants of the living God. And yet there is a level of professionalism that we need to bring. And so I guess as I've been trying to figure out how do I lead because I'm a strong personality. And to be honest, I know that I can get on people's nerves. I mean, Jessica knows I can get on people's nerves. And so, so I'm always so afraid of leading because I'm afraid I'm going to do it wrong. Mm-hmm. How do we navigate that in a way that we're, we're fitting the situation in a way that's life-giving, not only to us, but also to those who listen and who are being led? Yeah, you bring up a really great point because one of the universal experiences for women, at least in our day and age, so I want to just couch, you know, most of what I'm talking about is kind of like our context, growing up, particularly in church environments. It's, um, but most of the research is really just talking about women um, that are, that are some of the first, or we're trying to create change, or we're a part of the change, whether we we wanted to or not. Um, But it's this, this constant tension that we tend to feel where I'm sort of like, not enough, right? I don't really know enough. I haven't done as much. I don't feel as confident. I, you know, I sort of have been missing things in my own growing up that a lot of my guy peers probably got. They probably got a lot of affirmation, a lot of encouragement. When we talk about it in the ministry world, uh, women and men tend to develop completely differently in our church environments um, in terms of people affirming leadership gifts, affirming teaching gifts, getting opportunities to speak or lead at young ages, which really influences how you view yourself and how you think God views you and your giftedness as you grow. So all women tend to sort of, especially if they grew up in churches or uh, church type contexts, uh, like church cultures, uh, we tend to always sort of feel like we're not quite enough. We don't, we're probably not the best person for the job. We kind of are always questioning ourselves. But then at the same time, especially those who have been gifted in ways that have stronger, more expressive gifts, we also feel like we're too much, right? It's too loud, too big, too fast, too much. I'm annoying people. My voice is not very nice. Um, I'm just kind of like in the way I'm, I'm too big. Most people can't handle me. And so that dichotomy of like, constantly feeling like not enough and too much all at the same time just creates a lot of inner turmoil and just feels like you're walking on eggshells all the time. And I really feel like that that really is the opposite of how God wants us to flourish, right? In John 10, 10, he talks about living life abundantly and to the full, right? This is the opposite of living to the full because I'm like either feeling like I'm way too much or I'm not enough. I'm never just like full, like full just feels so when you think I have a great meal, you just feel so good. You're full. You're not hungry, but you're not over full. You're just like, it's just so satisfying. And if we're feeling anything less than that, then it's really not what God has designed us for. 
And he's not the one putting those tensions in us. And that's when we really, in my estimation, and what's been the most helpful for me is I have to go back to God's word and say like, okay, when people are gifted, like I'm gifted, first of all, who am I in Christ? Who have you made me to be just as a Christian? I need to walk in that despite what I feel like people are secret, quiet messaging me or silently messaging me. Like, who do I know myself to be? And then who did God uniquely make me to be? So what are my actual spiritual gifts? What is my personality? How do I approach things? What people, when I read the Bible, do I resonate with? I'm like, oh, he's so awesome. I want to be like that. I want to have that kind of attitude. And what's challenging for most women is that most women in the Bible are not preached a lot on Sundays. Most of It's almost always stories about men. So it's hard sometimes for us to see ourselves in um, a lot of scripture. But I would just encourage you that all everyone in scripture is for everyone. And so like, I am a Joseph person. I'm highly administrative. I love to organize things. I can like get it out with the best of them. Um, I've had to learn all those pride lessons that he had to learn. I've certainly been stuck in prison and helped people and they got promoted and I didn't. Like I get that journey. That is my life right there. And so, but I can see myself in scripture and I can see what God did in that person. And I can position myself to also be used in those same same ways. Not because I'm trying to be someone I'm not or measure up someone else's expectation or even meet my own high expectation. I'm trying to live out the call and the gifting that God gave me and walk in the anointing that he's uniquely created for me. So what are the doors open for me? What are my gifts that I bring? So one of the things I encourage women to know is your top three spiritual gifts. It sounds so simple, but it really makes a big difference. So when I lead, it looks different than someone who has different gifts. So if you want me to show up, my top gifts are administration, teaching, and encouragement. So whether I'm running the first impressions team, I you know, in running the weekend production and all the worship team, I'm writing a book, you're going to get complicated things simplified, right? That's what the gift of administration does. I'm going to teach you something and, and I'm going to encourage you to be more towards God than you are right now. You are going to get that no matter what, if I'm a nurse, if I'm a mom, that is what I'm going to bring. Someone else is going to bring something different. So if we're only measuring ourselves based off of other people that we see, that are gifted differently, we're never going to measure up in our own mind because we're not being who God made us to be. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's not a male versus female issue. That's a, just a personal issue. Well, this is why Paul says, right? There is no male, female, Jew, Mm -hmm. Greek, slave or free. This is who you are in Christ. So we can get to gender differences later, but I'm telling you any gender difference you find on some research or some whatever about men and women, you're almost always going to be able to trace back to giftedness because I know Mm -hmm. a lot of men who cry and I know a lot of women who don't. Yes. So we can make assumptions and stereotypes all we want, but I do feel like I see God tend to gift women in certain ways and tend to gift men in other ways, at least in our generation. But when I look through scripture, I can't see gender bias on gifting at all. So is it wiring? Is it nature? Is it nurture? Is it the way we grew them up and train them? And I don't know. I just know what, all I know is what God says and what he made me to do. That's all I'm actually responsible for. Yeah, I think we can get so caught up in the us versus them uh, mentality of women, especially in ministry, women versus men. And that's not at all God's heart. And, and I think while we do have certain experiences because of church culture or whatever, uh, the different opportunities we've, we've come into, um, 
I think really what it comes down to is ex- recognizing and accepting who God has created us to be exactly what you're saying and not letting biases, whether they are actual or perceived, um, get in the way of doing what God has called us to do. And even if there are actual biases, um, against us as women, how do we thrive and how do we humble ourselves to actually be, be willing to come under and still be who God has called us to be. We don't need a title. We don't need to be, uh, the leader of a certain area to be able to be used by God. And I think that is the, the, um, danger of, kind of the, the mentality that has come up in, especially women pastors, um, of just, we haven't been given opportunities. They haven't recognized our giftings and, and whether that's true or not, that doesn't negate our responsibility to be who God has called us to be. Absolutely. I think one of the ways to think about it too, is, uh, just like any other part of our life, there are things we're responsible for stewarding in our own mm-hmm. life. And there are things that we are called to advocate for, for other people's lives. Sure. And sometimes we get that mixed up, right? Because when I'm stewarding my own life, it's never about title. It's always about service. It's always a heart issue. I'm going to trust God to open doors, close doors, promote me, not promote me. Th- those are the things he's working out mostly for my sanctification, not even for my impact in the kingdom, right? He's much more concerned about my holiness than my impact. And I get that Mm. mixed up all the time. But as a, uh, as a Christian, I am a spiritual leader in a unspiritual world, right? So just as a believer, I have spiritual authority that has nothing to do with hierarchy in ministry, but as an authority, a spiritual authority, it is actually my job to look at the people around me and say, these people are oppressed. These people are not advocated for. These people are being treated unfairly. And I can bring all my energy and all my giftedness into advocating and fighting for them like Jesus fights for us, right? But when we fight for ourselves and then just simply represent others or like they're okay over there, I guess they'll be, God, I'll pray for them. But then we pick up and want to battle for ourselves. That's when we've got our heart in the wrong place, right? So we spend our lives for others and then we trust God to take care of us. We don't do the opposite. Mm, that's so good. That's so good. You know, I you bring up Joseph and he's like one of my favorite, favorite characters in the Bible. But um, I've seen a lot of that in my life too. And I think if we don't understand God's ways, that sometimes there's a death of a vision. <laughs> sometimes there's pit time. There's prison time. Because there's God's always w- that. Yes. <laughs> there's always that. <laughs> there has to be because God's using it to shape us. And it's to, you know, I've always said that the calling's fancy food for the flesh, you know, and it can be really pure, but my flesh can wrap up around it. And so God sometimes allows my thoughts and the ways I want things to happen to be thwarted because he's wanting to do something deeper in me. And, you know, I think that some of times as women, you know, maybe we didn't get that role. Maybe we didn't get that position. Maybe, maybe someone else was chosen to do something and we weren't. And all of a sudden, the resentment and the hurt can literally infect our soul. And it's not, it's not that, that anybody else is holding us back. It's that God's wanting to do something deep. How do we navigate those times? 
when whether it's rejection or maybe it feels like perceived failure or we have been looked over or passed over how do we navigate that in a way that actually propels us to God's purposes rather than just kind of freezes us at a point of pain yeah, I think Joanna, you bring up a great point because most of us are uh, quick to believe one kind of feedback or the other. Either I'm not good enough and I shouldn't have applied and no one wants me, or I'm awesome and they're overlooking me and something's holding me back and I got to fight for it, right? But the reality is probably both are at play. We have something to learn and something to grow in. And there's resistance to us taking steps of leadership because we live in a spiritual battle. And so knowing that it's never either or, it's always both and. And so the way I like to talk about it is I believe there's two sides to the same coin when it comes to really moving forward on this. And that's to be fully honest and fully honoring at the same time, honest and honoring. And many times women, I talk about it in the book, we call it the sticky floor, which is these kind of internal dialogues and uh, conversations we have with ourselves that aren't all usually based on truth. It's like, I'm not good enough. I'm, we get imposter syndrome. We feel like um, it's that I'm not enough, but too much kind of thinking. And so we tend to disqualify ourselves. And in that regard, I just encourage people to be really honest, be honest about yourself. Like, what are you good at? What experiences do you have? Don't minimize uh, who you are, but most importantly, don't minimize what God has brought you through or has given you opportunity to do. So if you've been a, you know, a financial controller at a bank and the church is looking for people to volunteer for the finance team, don't say to yourself, oh, I would never be good at that. I'm not, I, I I'm not really that great at numbers. You know, there was someone always smarter than me on the team. I'm like, be, just be honest. We're like, well, I've been a, a financial controller for eight years. Just be honest and say what you've done and then let the leaders decide. Decide. Don't don't decide for them. It's very uh, un. It's un, disrespectful to decide things for your leaders by lying. Right? You want to be honest and say what you've done, and then let the leaders decide. And but then also be honoring. So if you've been fully honest and they choose someone else, then be honoring of that. I guess there was something else. I would even encourage you to go back and ask. Hey, this is something I would like to be a part of one day, or I'd love to know from you. Was there something I need to grow in? Is there more experience I need? Was there something I did in the interview that made you feel like I wasn't a good fit for this? Please be honest with me. I think a lot of times we hide under falsehood because we're scared of truth, but mm. truth is what sets us free. So many times we live in these narratives that we've written on our own to make ourselves either feel better or worse, depending on which way we lean, uh, but they're not based on truth. And so if you can be really honest and ask for honest back, and if you can be honoring in the process, we don't march in there and say like, why am I not on this? Da, 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 da. You should know that I bought, you know, we don't demand, no Christian demands something from themselves. Jesus taught us, we, you know, these are not things to be grasped, right? We give them up with the heart of a servant, but I still would like to know. So would you please explain to me, I want to be better at this, or I, I would like to know where to use my gifts in ministry. And I thought this would be a good, do you see a better fit for me? Ask Ask the honest questions, be open for honest feedback, but do it in an honoring way. Make an appointment, send an email. Don't be angry. Don't be overly needy. Don't be a victim. Like 
just be honest and honoring. If we can do those two things, I think we walk that middle line of maturity where we, we are representing Christ well, but we're also representing that we're a human and we're learning and growing and want to learn and grow, especially under the authority of the leadership we're given. Male or female, whatever your role is, everyone's under authority. We're all submitting to someone. So how are we honoring that? And how are we being honest in those conversations? Oh, wow. You bring up such... Such an important point because I I think we, especially in American Christianity, we don't really invite constructive criticism. You know, we're we're just we'd rather just think that they they're messed up and they don't know what they missed or or uh, you know, well, I knew I was a failure, I knew that you know, and rather than going, okay, here's a learning opportunity, and I, I just had an. A, an occasion to speak with a young woman. And I felt like I God had given me something that she needed to hear, but she could not receive it. And I understand because it is hard to take criticism. And yet it's so funny because it comes back to that push pull, like I'm not good enough. I'm not this. And yet the very things that could help us grow, sometimes we don't want. How do we back up emotionally enough to be able to hear truth without it undoing us at our core. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned emotional intelligence earlier. Uh, Really what that centers around is self-awareness. And um, self-awareness is the ability to understand what's going on inside of you and how who you are being in that moment is affecting other people. Now, the challenge about self-awareness is that it sounds like it's all about what we think is going on, but it almost is learned exclusively by feedback from other people. Mm -hmm. So when you meet someone, or if I am feeling like I don't want feedback or I'm rejecting this feedback, what I'm really saying is my inner self, my identity is being threatened and I can't handle feedback right? Because what's going on inside of me is more important than what I'm doing on the outside of me, which again is the opposite of what Christ calls us to do. He says, take care of what's inside, what's in your heart, because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So what's happening on the inside where my emotions are in the inside, if they're in a jumble and I'm not in self-control of them, I don't have the fruit of the spirit over my emotions, then it's going to come out my mouth and affect all these people around me, whether I want it to or not, whether it was my quote fault or not, whether someone made me upset or not, I'm still responsible for it because I'm responsible for my heart. And so knowing our emotions, knowing how, like we're all emotional. I really get a kick out of people who are like, well, women are so emotional and men just don't. I'm like, I work with a lot of guys. They are very emotional, very emotional. It comes out completely different. And part of what's a challenge, I think, in many of our cultures, especially in church, is we have seen so many men grow into leadership over their life. We're completely comfortable with immaturity in a man. So they get mad. They get cocky. They have an ego the size of Texas. They walk in ready to take over everything. They, they're, they tend to wear their stress in anger and frustration. And we're completely fine with that. They can go out at lunch and play basketball and sweat it out and come back in and we're like, isn't it great how he handled that? You see a woman go out to her car and have a cry session and come back in and pull herself together and we're like, she lost it at lunchtime, right? We have judgment because we have a different ways of expressing when our emotions are hijacked. So self-awareness comes in because we have to say, what hijacks me? Where is Satan got a lie that my buttons are getting pushed? It's not about 
being around people who don't push my buttons. It's about not having buttons. So how do I figure out what my button pushers are? How do I, through the work of the Holy Spirit, begin to bring those thoughts captive unto Christ so that I can actually be with someone who two years ago would have totally sent me off And now I can sit here and listen to them and go like, yes, I can totally hear you. I can accept and listen to you and be in this conversation. And my emotions are not ruling me. They're still upset. I'm still a human, but I can be in this conversation. I can stay in self-control, right? This is about the Holy Spirit having more access to who I am than he did a couple years ago. And then I can leave having not spewed anything out because my heart is whole. And then I can work through it. I can journal about it. I can pray it through. I can talk to my spiritual advisors about it. I can process it. I can, I got mad at someone who really hurt me last week. I power washed my entire outside of my house. Took me three days. I worked through a lot of emotions with it, right? But it's a constructive way of working through emotions. I didn't stuff it. I didn't pretend it wasn't there. I didn't berate myself for having it. I was in self-control through the power of the Holy Spirit and found a proper outlet. And then once it was processed, I could come back around and have the healing conversation, the honest and honoring conversation that restores. Because at the end of the day, it's all about John 17. It's about unity in the body, right? This is where Jesus at the very end of his life, he's giving his last prayer. And of all the things he could pray for, for us, the disciples yet to come, he prays for unity so that a lost and dying world would know how much he loves them by the unity of believers, And right now we tend to segment ourselves. And so no one's really looking at the church right now and getting saved. They're not like, wow, I want some more of that, you know, animosity and division and segregation. They're saying, no, I think we're doing better. I think the marketplace is kicking the church's butt and they are, right? So we have to restore relationships where there is hurt. We don't avoid hurt and stuff it in order to look unified. We actually restore it to fully be unified. And that's where we really are missing it. And to be really honest, it's one of the things that is the uh, challenge of um, when we leave a section of the body out, we tend to not have full reconciliation of true healing. And that's what the world is missing seeing in us, in my opinion. I totally agree. I have constantly during these last few years, in this year, last year especially, been thinking of the verse, um, you know, in the NIV, it's let your gentleness be evident to all, but in the new King James, it's let your reasonableness Mm. be evident. Oh, I like that so much better. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, we are called to be reasonable people. Uh, The world is longing for people of love and people that, that aren't just so opinionated they cannot value the other person. And so I'm with you, sister. Jess, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think we can get so caught up in the us versus them uh, mentality of women, especially in ministry, women versus men. And that's not at all God's heart. And, and I think while we do have certain experiences because of church culture or whatever, uh, the different opportunities we've, we've come into, um, I think really what it comes down to is recognizing and accepting who God has created us to be exactly what you're saying and not letting biases, whether they are actual or perceived 
um, get in the way of doing what God has called us to do. And even if there are actual biases um, against us as women, how do we thrive and how do we humble ourselves to actually be, be willing to come under and still be who God has called us to be? We don't need a title. We don't need to be uh, the leader of a certain area to be able to be used by God. And I think that is the, the um, danger of kind of the, the mentality that has come up in, especially women pastors um, of just, we haven't been given opportunities. They haven't recognized our giftings and, and whether that's true or not, that doesn't negate our responsibility to be who God has called us to be. In my experience, the only people who like conflict are the people in full control and power right? I can handle conflict with my three-year-old because I am bigger and stronger and in charge of all of his resources, right? (laughs) But I am not as in control as with my friend who has, you know, who we are equal with and knows my vulnerabilities, right? And so I don't like conflict there because I know I could get hurt or uh, and wounded. And so as we're going into these conversations, I do think the first step is to make sure that self-awareness piece, what's really going on in me? God, what is this hitting and why? And is that reasonable? Because I think that gentleness is a wonderful word, but not when we take away its power. Because when we step into conflict, it requires a lot of inner strength and power of the Holy Spirit to engage in conflict in a healthy way that's self-controlled, right? And it's motivated by love. It's not motivated by revenge. It's not motivated by my reputation or justifying myself or pointing out what's wrong in you, right? Jesus has so much to tell us about taking the log out of your own eye, right? That's what he's saying when he's like, Take a look at what's happening inside of you. What is this hitting and why? Now, it doesn't mean that what they did was right. So just because it hit my button doesn't mean that it's okay that they did it. But when I, the reason I do that is so when I come into the conversation, I'm not carrying a giant log trying to hit them upside the head with it, right? I've let the log down and now I'm going to talk to this person about what's going on. And it's about them. I'm serving them. I'm loving them. I'm trying to create healing between the two of us so that I can live at peace. As far as it depends on me, I live at peace with everyone. So some practical steps, that first one is to really work it out. And some people and some topics are easier to work through than others. I think it's not a race and there's not a timeline. I think it's a continual pressing forward. So sometimes you do have to go for a run. Sometimes you do need to ball your head off. Sometimes you do need to call someone for perspective. You don't call a lot of people and you don't call anyone involved in it. You call the people who live in a different state who get you, right? And don't know anyone involved and you can just blab your head off and they say, yeah, this sounds a lot like last year when so-and-so did that to you. And you're like, oh, dang, it's that same issue. All right, still working on it. That's what the issue is. Thank you. I just needed to figure out what the issue was, right? You get perspective from safe people where you're not burdening them with something that now they have to carry or it's going to infringe on other people. So save people, um, remove people, uh, people who know you that you trust their spiritual judgment. So whatever that takes um, to process through the emotions, get the physical side out, get the emotional side out, get the spiritual side out. And then you have to put your thoughts in order so that you can be clear. I often take notes to these kind of meetings and I don't always look at them, but they're there if I need them. Because when I'm when I'm trudging on vulnerable ground, I easily can become angry as a defense mechanism, right? And so when you're angry, it's easy to sin, 
right? This is why don't, in your anger, do not sin. It's okay to feel angry. It's just easier to sin. It's easier to say something I regret. It's easier for me to give a look. Like I don't always lose my words, but I oftentimes lose control of my facial expressions. (laughs) So I want to be, I want God to right? Direct me. So I'm prayed up. I've got my notes written down. Here's the issue. Here's what happened. All facts. Here's what's happened. Here's how it affected me. Here's what I would like to move forward. And then I just go through the list and I'm like, I need to talk to you about this. I always try to start with a disarming statement. That's like, Hey, I need to circle back around from that meeting we had, you know, two days ago or 10 days ago. I know it's been a while, but it's been bothering me. I've been trying to work through it and I need to just express to you what that was like for me or how that impacted me. So remember when you said da, 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 or you looked at me with this question and then didn't let me answer and when, you know, or you said these statements that were direct attacks on me, at least they felt like it. It really threw me off my game. I felt like you were telling me I didn't do a good job. I feel like it discredited me with the rest of the team. And it was very hurtful. I trusted you with that information. I came to the meeting not thinking that I could be in it and we were all in this together. And instead it felt like it was all my fault. And then I wait for a response. And then when I hear their response, hopefully what they're going to say is, what everyone hopes to when we're following Matthew 18, right? Is like, I am so sorry. It was not my intention or yeah, I was kind of snarky that day. Sorry. I took a cheap, cheap shot. Like I don't even care if they meant it or didn't mean it. I care about apology and about restoration and then moving forward. So this is my third point. Like, and so then I bring, here's what I would like to do to move forward. Would you mind addressing this next time we're all together in staff? Because I feel like it's discredited me and I, I need this authority to do the job that you have asked me to do. So this is where we come back to honest and honoring, right? Like I'm not just going to like be okay and we're just going to shove it under the rug. I'm like, you did make a mistake and there's a cost to mistakes and this is the repair to fix the mistake. And honestly, I've done this multiple times. Not everyone has followed through, but the people who follow through Oh my gosh. I'm like, it's the real leaders. It's godly people. They have integrity. I can trust them. I can come to them with my heart. They want to fix their mistakes. They're apologetic. Those are my people. And so that is what it's supposed to work like. And then if it doesn't work, you follow Matthew 18, you go get more help, right? If it's a repeat offender, you get a lot more help. You just do the process that God gives us. I think sometimes as women, we've been conditioned in a culture of submission that we simply take it. And as long as we can understand why someone did it, it excuses their behavior. But God always knows why we do things. He never excuses our behavior. We always have to confess our sin. He never lets us off the hook. Never. He never lets us off the hook. He always requires confession, even as a believer. And so that's what restores fellowship. And that's what we're trying to do. When there is an offense, we confront it, we heal it. And then we have fellowship again and we move on. And then we never talk about it again because we choose to forget it, just like God chooses to forget our sins. But we only choose to forget when it's been restored. Mm, That's so good. You know, and it reminds me, not only are we doing that between leaders, but also available when those that we serve have come to us with something that's difficult and says, this is how it made me feel. I will tell you there is a direct relationship between the leaders who receive hard feedback well and those who are able to lead up with hard feedback well. If you are not willing to receive it, it's like God takes the power away from you to be effective up. So 
if you want to speak up for yourself, if you want to be able to be honest and honoring, if you want to be confident uh, and strong in your leadership, then you have to be able to receive people who are confident and strong in their leadership. You have to be able to receive honest feedback in an honoring way. You have to be able to control your own emotions if you want, if you want to be treated with people with controlled emotions. So we do, you know, we do reap what we sow. And so if you want to reap more of something, you probably are being invited to sow more of that same thing personally. Oh, man. Boy, there's so, so much that we could talk with you, Katie. You are such a rich well. Um, I know you've got a Facebook group, is that right? Or a special group, support group, Ministry Chicks. Can you tell us a little bit about that? (laughs) Yeah, when we launched the book, we actually had done a big survey of 1,200 female church leaders. And so we kicked off a a Facebook group. I think we have like over 2,500 women in it now who are leading in churches all over the world. So if you, anyone out there listening to this, if you are in a leadership role, it doesn't have to be paid, but it's like, it's a, you're leading a group of people doing something. Um, Sign up on Facebook. You just can either do it off my website or off the Facebook, just search ministry chick. It's really just a support network. Many of us as female leaders don't have a lot of women who are also leading. There are Lots of women in churches. Women are the majority of people, but not everyone is in a leadership role. And so we really try to address the more leadership sides of things. I have a whole series of video interviews there of women that have been leading in church in a variety of ways that, um, again, trying to give role models and examples because many of us have grown up without a lot of those. So there's resources, there's people. It's a great way to connect with people from other churches who are maybe leading in the ministry that you're leading. So yeah, anyone is welcome to join. Awesome. And be sure you can visit the show notes, you guys, at Joanna Weaver Books, and you can find links to that as well as Katie's books. But one of the things, um, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring Jessica on too was just, you know, she's all of a sudden this woman, young woman who's been in ministry for, I don't even know how many years now, and a new mother. And so navigating those differences. Yeah. And any last question that you'd have for Katie? Yeah. I mean, my little guy just woke up. So if you hear him in the background, that's my little, that's my little guy. He's one. Um, I think the biggest challenge for me has been, um, you know, I've been in ministry full time now for several years and, um, you know, we had, we had challenges with infertility. And so I, it, it took a while to become a mom. And so I have had now these years of experience doing something a certain way. And as you know, motherhood changes things and seasons, the seasons come into play a lot more. And so I've kind of been struggling with what motherhood, how that changes necessarily my vocational ministry calling, um, or even volunteer calling for those who are listening, um, how do I navigate those seasons while still kind of, I think there's, there's this underlying fear for me, at least that because I'm in this new season, that once I'm out of this season, I will have missed the opportunities. I won't have a place at the table that I've had before. And, and all of a sudden I feel like um, these doors will no longer be open to me once once I am out of this season. And I guess I would love to hear your perspective on that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have two ways of looking at that. Uh, one is the ministry and sort of spiritual calling side. And the other is the actual vocational and career side. So let me take the ministry side first. 
I think what's important to realize is as a Christian, we are all called to ministry and all parts of our life are included in that calling. So even Jessica, as you become a mom, it's one of those unique experiences, just like there are many unique experiences out there. So it's not just about motherhood. It's about anything. Like I just lost my mom, Joanna, you and I were talking about this. There is a whole club of women who have lost their mom out there that I didn't even know existed. But oh my gosh, have they come out of the woodwork. I have gotten messages and cards and everyone who sees that I lost my mom, who has also lost their mom, writes me a note or it's the beginning of our conversation. Like it was, you know, I just, it's, it's a big thing in a person's life. And it's particularly a big thing in a woman's life. Motherhood is the same way. And so um, I got a hysterectomy a couple of years. That's another club I'm in, right? And so like women tend to gather around these sort of life moments. Now, not every woman is a part of every one of them, but when you're in it and when you find yourself in it, there are other people there. So all of those are part of our calling and God is ordaining all of those steps to expand your ability to minister. And I look at ministry very different than career. I think there is vocational calling, but really calling is what's more important because career and jobs come and go. The economy's tanking. A whole bunch of people are going to lose their paid jobs, but our ministry calling never, ever leaves us. We take it with us everywhere we go. You will never be out of ministry. You will never not have a spiritual impact in the kingdom. You will never not be used by God if you stay close to him. Motherhood is just going to open up a new dimension of how he's going to use that. And so if you can look at it as a welcome expansion of the kinds of people you relate to, the sorts of things you have to talk about, it's kind of like if anyone has ever like uh, been single and gotten a dog, right? And now you're walking the neighborhood with a dog and suddenly you have friends in the neighborhood that you never had before because you have a dog. It's like, I don't want to compare children to the dog, but it's a little like that. All of a sudden you have all these people who want to talk to you about their baby who never would have paid you mind any other time. So all these aspects of our life are part of how God expands our ability to connect, relate, serve, love, and minister to people. So that has expanded your role in the kingdom. Now, when it comes to career, uh, women have not had much training or conversation or modeling around how to steward a career through life seasons. And the reality is we just have very different drastic seasons than most guys do. I would say that's shifting. I see a lot of men really stepping up with family. I think COVID has shaken that down a lot. I think the whole foodie movement for men in the kitchen has been wonderful. I'm from, well, I'm from Montana. Men have been cooking and growing the garden since, you know, for hundreds of years. So, yeah. The rest of the country is finally kicking up to that. So, um, but when it comes to stewarding our career, uh, if you have been given the gift of a lot of experience and strong leadership gifts that are fruitful, it's always wise to keep a foot in the door. And I actually think uh, particularly church ministry um, and Christian ministry in general, just because we love family, your little guy has red hair. I'm sorry. You just brought your baby into the picture. (laughs) I had a little redheaded baby. So cute. Um, You'll have to post a picture, Joanna, with this. Yes, yes. That little munchkin. Um, when we steward a career, it's it, the church is a wonderful place to do that because we are a volunteer-based organization, which means you working full-time is awesome, but you working 10 hours a week is awesome too. 
right? Because nothing is locked down. You volunteering is great. You working 20, you working during the school year and taking summers off and Christmas off. Like all of those are good options. And so part of what you can do as a leader (laughs) is to be able to work with your leaders to negotiate what is it that you as a leader need in this season. Just like if you were to have any other thing, let's say that Uh, you know, God forbid you were diagnosed with cancer. You would probably keep your job because you had to, right? You would need health insurance. You would need an income, but you would negotiate and be like, I'm going to be on chemo or I have to have surgery. I'm going to use FMLA or I'm going to use my short-term disability or I want to work part-time but keep my role. And so my favorite thing is if you can take your full-time role and work 15 or so hours a week and take the other 25 to, you know, 50 hours a week (laughs) that was designated um, and hire an assistant or an assistant director. And now you keep your role, go to the meetings that matter most, but do everything through someone else. So your performance for your department doesn't change, but your life is drastically different and you have delegated everything that can be delegated. You keep the seat at the table that you've earned and are the best one to fulfill. And then in four years, or five years or two years or whatever you decide, you can come back. Or maybe it doesn't work for the church in two years, but you got two more years in at that level. So just giving yourself flexibility, taking it one year at a time, one kid at a time. You just got to take it one step at a time, adjust accordingly. And what that does by keeping your foot in the door is it allows you to come back whenever you're ready and you haven't missed that much. And I would say at the same time, like, don't read books, don't keep up on the podcast, just like get to the meetings on time, take good notes, fulfill your job description. You have to let go of all the extras, right? This is also the time you like outsource as much as you can. So maybe you don't need to feel the pressure to, you know, grow your own yams that are organic in the backyard and make your own baby food. Maybe you do some store-bought things, or maybe you have your mom do it for you and ship it over from Hamilton. Like you look at different ways to hit the nail on the head without being the only person who does it. Does that make sense? That's good. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think for me, I, I'm, I tend to be a perfectionist. And so my motto right now is good is good enough. <laughs> and that's not necessarily a, a great motto for all people, but for a perfectionist, it's really <laughs> helpful. It's like, I, you know, it's going to be fine. And it's not exactly how I planned it. It's not exactly what I wanted it to look like, but you know what? It's good. And that's okay. <laughs> so I liked that. That was good. I actually think perfectionism is one of the biggest ways that Satan keeps women down is that we feel this pressure to perform or to be our best. I would even say most perfectionists are not competitive against anyone but themselves. They have their own high markers. Most of them are have a visionary ability where they can imagine what it could look like. And we easily translate could to should. And we kind of spend a lot of time in the should world instead of in the could or what actually is the best thing. And so we can spin a lot of plates on, you know, as Paul talks about doing all the things that are good, but not really doing what's best or what's most important. And so kind of like Joanna, the theme of your podcast, it's like um, how often we can be in the kitchen overdoing it and miss the living room moment with our family, with our team, with our spouse, with our parents, with the church member who needs something, with the neighbor who's lost. Like, it's just so easy to be, you know, one of the people in the Good Samaritan story who doesn't stop for the sake of representing Christ well in the roles we've assigned to ourselves, when really that's not how it goes down at all. And so I would even say, like, it's not even that good and 
good is good enough. It's just that what's the most important thing for today? Like what's the, um, I had an, uh, a vice president from Chick-fil-A on leadership development talk to me about this concept of a capital A versus a little a agenda. And he goes, I go into the day with my little a agenda, right? That's my, that's me. That's my perfectionism thing. I've always got a list that I'll never get done. But if I don't have the list, it makes me very nervous. He's like, but I'm always looking for the capital A, which is the God agenda. Mm. Where's the God moment? And I have to remember that's a giant capital A and mine is just a little a. And he loves me getting my little a stuff done, but I better never miss out on the capital A piece. And really, if you get nothing done, Done but the capital A, you've actually done what you're supposed to do for the day. And we can rest in the grace of that. Oh, so beautiful, Katie. Oh, this has been so rich. I just thank you so much for your time. I thank you for your ministry. I, I really do. I feel like there's so many things that um, I'm sure people are going to maybe want to listen to this again or share it with a friend and talk about it because there are so many things I think, um, I, I know men have their own struggles, but I do think as women, we have some unique struggles of wanting to to be that good mama, like Jessica wants to be, uh, wanting to be a good pastor's wife, like I want to be and yet I have a book deadline and and then I have a podcast and we don't have the luxury of just being single passionate women we're multi-passionate women with with God you know his grace wanting to help us in all those areas as we close would you just pray over the women who are listening um I don't know I'm just thinking of that woman right now who's like I have this burning passion to be used by God, but no doors are opening and I've knocked and they're still not opening. And what do I do with that? Any final words before you take us to prayer? Oh, yeah. Well, I would love to just share a quick story about me writing this book because I feel like um, I've had a lot of really wonderful experiences, but there are things that God plants in all of our hearts that we actually wish would come true. <laughs> and so for me, I wanted to be an author since I was like 20 years old. I've always been a big reader. I had a book idea when I was like 22 and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm still waiting on that book idea. And I knocked on every door. I met with publishing people. I paid the big money for the dumb conference to teach you to do whatever. Like I tried to be as faithful as I could because I, I felt like I, God wanted me to do it. And um, it didn't take me long to realize I was kind of working in my own strength, but I still wanted to be faithful to walk through any chance there was out there. I was going to not leave a stone unturned because that's, you know, the way most of us are. And so, um, and it just didn't come. And I remembered even just like 10 or 15 years ago after I met with a publisher and then just like never heard from them again uh, or a few years ago. And I just thought, you know what? They were basically like, you're great. No one knows you. This is a topic no one wants to hear about. I was like, oh, okay. I guess I don't know how to do this. And it wasn't defeating, but I was like, maybe I've misread this, mm -hmm. right? Like maybe I just am off and I don't want to do something God's not in. And so I really laid it down and just said, God, I'm just going to stop turning turning stones. I'm only going to walk through a door that you really open for me because this is actually getting really inefficient and I might be missing out on other things that are important that you have for me. And so it wasn't, but just maybe two years later, I was in these conversations with these churches about their women leader. And then I have a friend and I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm creating some research around this. Um, do you think anyone else would want to know this? And he goes, well, I'm meeting with a publisher because he does this publishing thing on the side that I, and he's like, let me see. Well, within two weeks I had a zoom call with an editor and they gave me a publishing contract, like on the call. And five months later I had a book. 
And that never, ever happens. Like if anyone has tried to write a book, this is never how it goes down. I find out later you should never write a book in five months, but you know, you don't know. You just sign up and say yes. And so, um, but just as an encouragement that like God does know those things and it really isn't us to us to do it. It's more like, it's more like he said, there's a surprise coming, Mm. not you better do this. Mm. Right. And I think sometimes it's easy to feel like, especially if we, those of us who are high performers or we like to get things done, or we know we're productive, that it's easiest for us to feel like God's biggest surprises that he's like whispered in our ear that something great is coming. Suddenly we feel the burden or the pressure to make it happen. And that if we don't, he'll be disappointed in us. That calling is somehow up to us to fulfill rather than up to us to enjoy as God opens the doors and we get to just faithfully walk through it and see what he's going to do. So I think that's my final thought is to just don't stress about it. Like even if you mess it up, Let's say you blow the interview with whoever is going to give you the whatever. Even if you totally mess it up, he's still going to bring it to you because when he promises something, it's going to happen. And whatever it's supposed to be will be in his perfect timing. Amen. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, I'll pray for us. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for Joanna and Jessica and for all the uh, amazing people listening. God, I just thank you that you love us so much, that you know us intimately, that you care about every detail of our lives, that you not only know the desires of our hearts, God, but you've actually put those desires in us. That's how much you know us. And you're such a good and loving and trustworthy full father, that you're not going to give us something and then, or tell us that something is coming and then not let us experience it. We may not know when, we may not know how, we may not understand it, God, but when it happens, you won't let us miss it. We will see it. We will celebrate you and we will enjoy every moment because we are the delight of your eye. And so God, I just pray that even right now we would all just let go of the pressure that we feel, that we would let go of the stress to perform or the need to do more or trying to maneuver things that's outside of what you called us to do. Instead, you say, Come to me, you who are weary and overburdened, those of you who have taken on more than I've asked you to take on, and I will not only give you rest, but in my loving kindness, I will cause you to rest. So will you help us to be in tune with your Holy Spirit? When you invite us to rest, would you allow us to rest? When you cause us to rest, help us not to fight against it, but God, help us to walk in your will. Help us to live life to the full. Help us to have over the overflow of your abundant uh, presence and Holy Spirit. Do ministry in a way that not only serves and makes an impact, God, but fills us up with our love and joy and knowledge of you at the same time. That's the life you've given us. That's the life we want to walk into. And God, we trust you as we move forward through today and through the decisions and the opportunities and the things you're bringing us that we'll walk simply in step with your spirit. We thank you so much and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you so much for being with us, Katie, and beautiful Jessica as well. God bless you guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you both so much. Okay, well, I am pretty sure that I am going to be chewing on some of the things Katie talked about for months. I'm especially challenged today by her invitation to invite honest feedback. I don't know about you, but that's scary. I know I need to grow in my leadership, but I do I really want someone's honest opinion 
as to how I can. Well, if I want to grow, I'm going to have to be willing to do that. I'd love to hear what spoke to you. If you wouldn't mind going over to Facebook or Instagram and just share what really spoke to you because we're all in this together, girls. I don't think there's any of us that really have it all together. And so I hope you'll even take time to re-listen to this episode. And as I mentioned in the opening, share it with a friend because I really, really do believe that God wants us to get out of our own way when it comes to ministry and leadership. If you're in any kind of church leadership, I hope you'll also go to joannaweaverbooks.com forward slash leader. You can sign up for my leader access pass, which gives you access to my DVD Bible studies, but also to a leadership seminar that I created and some resources that I hope will bless you in your own leadership journey. God has his hand on you, my friend, and he wants to help you become everything that you need to be. As you draw close to him, he'll open doors, but he also might shut some because he knows best what he made you for. And you can trust him with every step of your journey. He's going to build you into a woman that he can use, helping you live and love and lead like Jesus. Can't wait to see you next time. God bless.